Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We invite you to visit us at crossgate.org. It is our hope that you will hear from God and draw closer to Him through this service. So thankful for our worship and prayer teams that stir our affections in our worship uh, in the Lord. And we're going to continue our worship in just a moment as we're studying God's Word. And so I want to encourage you, uh, if you have your Bible, to turn to Mark chapter 5. If you have a device with you, also go to, uh, pull that up, Mark chapter 5. We're going to be starting in verse 21. And uh, just looking forward to uh, continuing this series that Pastor Phil mentioned earlier, and he's been in for the last few weeks, Meeting Jesus at the Crossroads of Life. And we're going to be looking at two folks, one sandwiched in between, uh, one story sandwiched in between another, in Mark chapter 5, looking forward to digging into what God has for us this morning. Before we do, I do want to remind you uh, of something that we have coming up. Of course, we, we know that Easter is, is fast upon us, and uh, we're really looking forward to that. And uh, Pastor Phil mentioned also uh, baptism, that we'll be uh, having baptismal service in between, I believe, the 9.30 and 11 o'clock service. But uh, but if you're interested in that, please let us know, and we'd love to talk to you about that. But also, as part of the weekend, we're going to be doing something that we haven't done here before. We've done some Friday, Good Friday services in the, in the past, but we've never done anything quite like this. We're going to be having a Good Friday experience, an interactive kind of uh, uh, participatory uh, experience as you walk through the final hours of Jesus' life, and there'll be different places, stations that you'll go to. It's from 5 p.m. until 8 p.m. You don't, there's no cost. There's no place to sign up for that. But you just show up and you'll, you'll go in groups through this experience. And I really, really believe, it'll take you about 45 minutes, that it'll be an incredible opportunity and a wonderful uh, opportunity to make this a part of your Easter season and celebration. Because I think oftentimes we come to Easter Sunday and we're, we're excited to, to celebrate Jesus' resurrection, but often we forget because our memories sometimes, uh, and Jesus and God knew this, that's why we do the Lord's Supper, do this in remembrance of me. We forget what he has done and the price that he paid. And so it's a great opportunity for uh, all ages, so just a great experience for your family. We hope that you'll participate in that. Now, guys, as we jump in this morning, I just want to ask a simple question. Just raise your hand. Have you ever been standing in line and had somebody just cut line on you? Has, has that ever happened to you? You know, or the thing that I, it's happened to me as well, and the thing that I, that I love the most is like another way that you see this is like on the interstate, and there's doing construction, and you're supposed to get into one lane, so everybody's getting over, and then all of a sudden, every so often, here comes this car zooming by. Now, I don't know about you, but that drives me insane. And, and I can't wait, because there's always eventually this 18-wheeler that just eases over and says, nah, no more. And I just like, yes. And I read about this story, and it was just so hard to believe, even last summer, about, about problems that you can encounter when you get in line. Um, it was at Disney World, of all places. And of course, we, I mean, we realize you've got to mortgage your house, man, it's just to go to this place. And these two families had gone, and they had numerous members on both sides, and they got in, a, in an argument while they're standing in line for a ride 
uh, something to do with cutting, and then before we knew it, they were fighting each other. And you say you may have seen the video on this. They both got, you know, of course, taken out of the park, and you know, and uh, they you can't come back, and all this. And it's just, I mean, it just amazes me uh, what what we experience when we're standing in line. I mean, it's just crazy sometimes. Well, today we're going to see the story of someone who cut the line, so to speak, to get to Jesus. And she does so because she is desperate. And when we're desperate, we can do desperate things. And while what she does may seem rude to some, Jesus' reaction teaches us something very important about faith. Because it shows us the kind of faith that Jesus responds to. And what Jesus wants from us when he doesn't seem to be responding. So if you, again, take your Bible, if you haven't had, we're looking at Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21, let's just jump in. When Jesus had crossed again in a boat to the other side, a large crowd had gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus, now let me just stop here, he says synagogue leaders, this is a leader of the synagogue, not, not a priest, but a leader, and he would have been a top-ranking official in the city, just kind of a big wig, right? So named Jairus, came up, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And he asked him urgently, My little daughter is near death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. What's striking about this is this man's posture toward Jesus. You see, in this culture, grown men would have never pled or beg. They would have, especially someone of this stature, it would have been considered shameful to show this kind of emotion. And for a ruler to, the scripture says, prostrate himself at another man's feet would just be unheard of. But when your little girl is dying, you see things differently. In Luke's account, we read uh, in three of the Gospels, this, uh, this story is, is, is uh, recorded. In Luke's account, it tells us that this was his only daughter, which would be odd in those days. And so it must have meant that it was a struggle to have this child. And so they, they, they finally have this one child. And this little girl means the world to him. Verse 24, Jesus went with him and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. Now a woman was there in that crowd who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years. Now that's a polite way of saying she had an uncontrollable menstrual flow. This meant that not only was she sick and likely in pain, she was likely unmarried, she was unable to have children, and even more so, she was ceremonially unclean, which meant no one would touch her. She wasn't allowed in public worship. She shouldn't be in crowds. She's been this way for 12 years. Church, I want you to wrap your mind around this for just a moment. For 12 years, no one has touched her. No one has hugged her for 12 years or laid a hand on her to pray for her. She is an outcast. Verse 26, 
She had endured a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. The scripture tells us that she had spent all the resources that she had at her disposal, trying to get various doctors to cure her. But not only did they not help her, but the attempted cures made her situation and problem worse. She's given up hope. One other thing that you should notice about this woman, she's given no name. This is in contrast to Jairus, you see, who's got a name that everyone knows. He's got a daughter who's 12 years old and sick. She's been sick for 12 years. He is a ruler of the synagogue. She's not allowed in the synagogue. He was respected. She was rejected. His is a household name. Hers is a name that very few know. Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she kept saying, she kept saying, if only I touch his clothes, I will be healed. You have to wonder, what had she heard? Maybe she had heard the prophecy given by Malachi in chapter 4, verse 2, that when the Messiah came, that that he would rise with healing in his wings. Maybe she knew that, she had, that, that he had healed other people he, that she had heard about. And she thought, maybe, just maybe, this is my chance. But here's her dilemma. She's not even supposed to be in public, lest she touch someone and make them unclean. But this is her only chance And so she risked the public scorn and fights her way through the crowd, trying to keep her face covered so that nobody would see who she is. By the way, I love the fact that the crowds couldn't keep her from getting to Jesus. This woman says, forget the crowds. I've got to know the truth about this man because he just might be able to change my life forever. And so she fights her way to him, and as she goes by, just touches the hem of his clothes. At once the bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that that she was healed of her disease. It was like she grabbed the rope of, of, of a bell, and as she did, the power just wrung out of him. Verse 30. Jesus knew at once that power had gone out from him. Now notice the passive nature of how this is stated. It doesn't say that Jesus sent out his power. It it says that the power just went out. It is presented as if he's not even in control of it. Which leads me to a theological question. Is Jesus not in control of his miracles? If God's, if God is, is God not sovereign, rather, over the outpouring of His power? Well, of course He is. It's presented this way because Mark is trying to teach us something about the faithfulness of Jesus. Mark is trying to teach us that Jesus responds to faith so reliably that it might as well be a reflex. Let's continue to verse 30. 
he turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? Now again, does he really not know? Surely he's God. He, he could figure this out on his own. Here's how I see this. When my kids were younger, I'd come into the kitchen and I might see the lid off the candy jar. And my kids are sitting there watching television in the other room. And as I walk in, one has a guilty look on their face and chocolate smeared all over. And I say, okay, who got in the candy jar? It's not that I don't know. It's that I'm giving that one an opportunity to come clean. Jesus here is inviting her to come forward and publicly confess what she's done. There is an important public dimension to all great acts of faith, and God wants you to own it. That's what we celebrate when we celebrate baptism. It's a public declaration. It's saying to our world, those around us, our family, our friends, our, 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 our faith family, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and I want the world to know it. And we'll give you a chance, as Phil said earlier, at Easter to follow on that same truth. Well, the disciples who don't always pick up on what is happening think that Jesus is genuinely asking them a question. His disciples said, verse 31, you see the crowd pressing against you and you say, who touched me? But he looked around to see who had done it. And then the woman with fear and trembling, knowing that what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Now church, there's something very sweet and very powerful here, I think. You see, this scorned, alienated woman is coming forward in the sight of all, trembling with fear, and she's wondering, will he reject me too? Will he publicly shame me? He knows I'm not supposed to be here. In church, what happens next might be the most important teaching moment in the life of Jesus, maybe in all of Scripture, because it is the central question of all religion. What is it like to be exposed in all of your defilement, guilt, and shame before a holy God? Verse 34. And he said to her, Daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now, if, not, if we're not, if we don't slow down here, we just kind of skim over this. But you have to look deeper. You see, the word daughter here used, that he uses here, the scholars tell us is a term of most intimate endearment. You would never use this word on someone that you had just met. And by the way, this is the only person that Jesus ever refers to by that name. It means precious daughter. This girl that nobody wanted has just been called precious daughter by the ultimate father. The girl no one would touch is embraced by the strongest and most tender arms in the universe. The name nobody else knew is precious 
to God. And so he says, go in peace and be healed of your disease. My daughter, you are clean. Now there is something here that that you and I, as most of us, if not all of us as Americans, that we usually miss. But if you're of Jewish or Muslim descent, you immediately pick up on, and she mentioned it. Here is this woman, unclean and defiled, touching someone regard, everyone regards to be holy. What happens when an unclean thing touches a clean thing? The clean thing gets defiled by the unclean. We understand it with sickness. What happens if a sick person comes in close contact with a healthy person? If I'm sick and you're well, your wellness doesn't make me better. We don't say, my kid is sick. I think I'll drop them off at the nursery with all the well kids so that their wellness will rub off on them. Now, if you think that way, we might need to talk. But, but seriously, if I'm sick and I sneeze on you and you get sick, I say I gave my cold to you. That doesn't mean that I don't have my cold anymore. Now, that would be awesome. But it means that now we both have it. Besides, because when the, the unclean thing touches the clean, the clean thing becomes unclean. And here is what is so shocking. In this story, when the unclean thing touches the clean thing, when the sick woman touches the one who is well, she becomes clean and healthy. So what happened to the uncleanness? That's the million-dollar question of the gospel. The answer is Jesus silently takes it into himself. Jesus is going to end his life on a cross where he literally becomes our sin and bears our shame. Isaiah 53 had prophesied that the Messiah would bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. He would be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made the one Jesus who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. Hear me, church family. The core of the gospel is substitution. The core of the gospel is substitution. On the cross, he took our defilement and condemnation so that his healing and his fellowship with the Father could be passed to us. Our moment of salvation is being illustrated here. We touch Jesus in faith, and the guilt and penalty of our sin passes into him, and his wholeness and purity pass into us. This woman goes home to her family, and Jesus is headed to the cross. Verse 35. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house saying, now let's stop for just a moment. Have we forgotten about Jairus? You see, all of this is just great for this woman, but poor Jairus. And now here is Jesus stopping to take an extended time to deal with a woman's chronic ailment. She's cutting in line, and her issue is something that could easily wait another hour. I mean, my goodness, she's been sick for 12 years. Would it, would it hurt for her to wait 30 more minutes? Meanwhile, Jairus' daughter is at death's door. 
If Jesus were a doctor, this decision wouldn't be just insensitive. It would be considered malpractice. And then the worst thing happens. While Jesus is talking with this woman, a message arrives from Jairus' house. Back to verse 35. Your daughter has died. Why, why bother the teacher? Why trouble the teacher any longer? And now comes Jairus' great test of faith. Why bother? The situation is so hopeless Can even Jesus help? I wonder how many potential miracles have died with the thought, why bother? It's never too late with Jesus. It's always time to bother the Master. Verse 36, but Jesus, paying no attention to what was said, told the synagogue leader, do not be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, They came to the house of the synagogue leader where he saw noisy confusion and people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, why are you distressed and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. Some of the most heartbreaking, if not the most heartbreaking moments of my life have been standing with families who've lost children. This guy, his 12-year-old little girl is dead, and Jesus says, why are you crying? Is Jesus being insensitive? Verse 40, and they began making fun of him. Now, this is not a laugh like they think that Jesus is confused. This is bitter scorn. It's like saying, you insensitive fool. Back to verse 40, but he forced them all outside, and he took the child's father and mother and his own companions and went into the room where the child was. Verse 41, then gently taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Now the word Talitha, scholars would say to us, is a very tender term that could almost be translated in our English language as sweetheart. So Jesus, by taking her by the hand, is saying to her, Jesus, he's saying, sweetheart, get up. Sweetheart, get up. I get the image of sitting on the edge of the bed of my daughters when they were around eight years old on a summer afternoon, taking a nap and saying, hey, sweetheart, It's time to get up. Verse 42, the girl got up at once and began to walk around. They were completely astonished at this. And he, Jesus, strictly ordered that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, what does this mean? What do these stories mean for you and I? Well, first of all, they tell us how Jesus delivers us from death. Now, let's don't get this wrong, and a lot of us at times we do. These stories are not primarily about how to get miracles from Jesus. They are pictures of how we become Christians, what it looks like to be transformed spiritually by Jesus Christ. You see, we are, all, we are like this woman. Our sin has left us diseased and unclean, guilty and cast out. 
But unlike this woman who was suffering through no direct act of her own, we are in this condition because of our sin. We are hopeless. All the cures have failed. Education can't fix it. Scientific progress can't, hasn't fixed it. Romance can't fix it. Religious, religious rules can't fix it. Not only do these things not fix our problem like with this woman, these things tend to make it worse. Problems that we have of pride and selfishness, sin of all kind, are not cured by education, scientific progress, or government regulation. Like this woman, we have to fight through the crowds and we have to reach out for Jesus by faith, intentionally. You don't get the transforming power of Jesus by just being around Him. You see, there were lots of people in that crowd that day that were right up against Him. But there was only one that got a miracle. Only the woman who reached out for Him intentionally, by faith, received this power, powerful miracle. You see, we have lots of people that attend churches every week that are touching Jesus casually. You and I don't get His power by being in the room, hearing wonderful worship songs or listening to sermons. You get Him through a bold act of faith. But when you do, when you reach out for Him in faith, believing He has the power and grace to save you, which means to forgive you of your sin and put the power of new life in you, you will be immediately cleansed and healed spiritually. And like this little girl, we need someone to save us from certain death. Death is our ultimate enemy. You know, there is nothing sadder to me than listening or hearing an atheist talk about death. It's over. Every relationship, every meaningful thing done is just gone. Jesus faced our supreme and enemy of death so that if we go into it holding His hand, it is nothing but a little nap. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Christ has taken the sting out of death. It reminds me of that story that many of us maybe have heard before, but of the father who was driving his daughter around. She was in a car seat in the back. She was, all of a sudden, the windows were down and a, a wasp flew in the car. We've all experienced that, nearly driven off the road. But this little girl was deathly allergic to bee stings. They couldn't get the, he couldn't get the, 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 the wasp to fly out, and he, turned, he pulled over off the side of the road, and he got out into the back seat in fear that it would sting his daughter, and he, he just kind of pushed it over to the corner, and with his hand, he just grabbed it and held it and waited for the inevitable, inevitable sting. Feeling a sharp pain, he opened his hand outside the car and released the bee. The little girl began panicking again. Daddy, it's going to fly back in here again and sting me. And the father opened his hand, showing the embedded stinger in his hand, and said to the little girl, No, sweetheart, don't worry about the bee. It can't hurt you anymore. You see, Jesus took the sting of death into his hands. 
so that it can no longer hurt us. We can look at his hands and see the nail scars and know that death is nothing but a temporary, inconvenient nuisance. Its sting is gone. While Jesus is the only way, we can trust him because he is the only way that he has taken care of that sting for us. The reason that I know that Jesus is the only way. You see, those who... Think about this. Those who would be the rescuer cannot have the same problem as those who need to be rescued. Did you hear me? Those who would be the rescuer cannot have the same problem as those who need to be rescued. You see, there's a, all the different world religions have leaders that faced death and died. And at this moment, you can go and you can visit their, their sites. Jesus alone. Church, Jesus alone went into the grave and came out alive. And because of that, He took the sting out of death. Now the second thing, very quickly, is I want you to know is how Jesus works in our daily lives. These stories show us how to approach Jesus with our problems. The first thing is faith engages a power from God. A power that is not available until you depend on it. This woman risked everything on the belief that Jesus would help her, and he did. The scripture is full and is true. Jesus never turns away anyone who comes to him in humility and faith. In Psalm, in Psalm chapter 9, verse 10, God's word says, You, O Lord, have never forsaken those who trust in you. Now, he may not always do things the way that we would do them. And I know that we would all agree with that. But part of our trust is saying, your way is better. But the moment that you lean on Him, you can be sure that He is working in your situation flawlessly for your good and that He is holding you up, up above the waves of destruction. He promises us that. But maybe you're here today and you feel like Jarius, you're hopeless about your situation, about your marriage, your family, an addiction, your future, so that you say, why bother the teacher? Well, I'll tell you why bother. Because you have a Savior who is passing by. Whose tender mercies, His tenderness is deeper than any ocean and His faithfulness reaches to the skies. The Savior that you see here doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The second thing is, nowhere is God more confusing than in how He does miracles. Have you thought about that? Nowhere is God more confusing than in how He does miracles. In this story, Jesus confuses everyone. The disciples can't figure out why Jesus is stopping. Jairus can't figure it out. Jesus' reaction confuses and terrifies the woman. But think about this. Everyone in this story got more than they bargained for. The woman expected a healing, but she also got acceptance as a precious daughter by the Heavenly Father. Jairus wanted a healing. What he got was a resurrection. God has so much more in store for us than our minds could ever comprehend if we only knew you see, God's plan is often different from ours. It's often different than ours. But for those who trust in Him, it's always meaningful. 
We each have had things that have come into our lives or we have watched others whose things have come into their lives and our question is, that seems meaningless. But God is saying to, it, that, saying to us today is that nothing that comes to us that is filtered through His hand is meaningless. It's doing something. He's using it in our lives. Yes, His timing often confuses and frustrates us, but we have to trust that He is weaving it all together perfectly. It can't be mere coincidence that this little girl was 12 years old and the bleeding woman had been sick for 12 years. What Mark is showing us is that for 12 years, God had been writing a plan, a story that He was weaving into one beautiful climax that He brought together on this day. In 12 years, 12 years, what Jesus wants from you and I is a persistent faith. I've wondered, what's heaven going to be like when we see this happen with all of our stories? When God, to use the words of J.R.R. Tolkien in The Lord of the Rings, makes every sad thing come untrue. He doesn't just wipe away our memory of it, but weaves it, it all into a beautiful tapestry, a story made even sweeter by the painful moments. In 1 Corinthians 15 that I mentioned earlier, Paul says that one day in the resurrection, not only will God remove the sting of death, death will be swallowed up in victory. Swallowed. It will become part of you. I love that imagery. Our experiences with pain and death make the end product sweeter and even more beautiful. Haven't, haven't you and I both seen someone that we know who's walked through great suffering and really grown from it? What's it like when we get to heaven and we see how God used every moment of those years to weave beauty and glory into our lives? That's the story of Jesus. That's the story Jesus is promising to write through our lives if we trust Him by faith. Could we end today realizing that this same Jesus is here today? That He's passing by? And we can approach Him like this woman, like Jairus, and like we see Him working in these stories? When I think about it, I think, I think this story so, both of these stories so moved me because as I got more into the text and really began to pull it apart, it just reminded me again of what Christ had done for me. And that's what moves me. Because I want you to know that if you don't. When God changed my life, thinking about the song we sang earlier. I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time. When I think about where my life was going and what God has done in my life, I can do nothing but to say thank you. Would you bow in prayer? We invite you to join us in person at our campus located at 3100 East Grand Avenue in Hot Springs, Arkansas. If we can pray for you, send us an email at prayer at crossgate.org. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast.